You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. Welcome back to Locked On MLB Prospects, your only daily podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. Today's a little bit of a shift from the future stars and a guy that's been doing it for a while in the big leagues. It's Mike Fires joining me on the show. He has one of the most incredible stories of someone making it from what seemed like against all odds to get to the major leagues and to get where he is today and stay there, not only stay there, but throw two no-hitters. You can't say two is a fluke. Maybe you could say one. You can't say two is a fluke. So it's amazing to see where he has come from and where he is now. You are definitely going to enjoy hearing his story. One thing I wanted to preface is that you may be wondering if we're going to get into any of the Astros scandal stuff. I didn't want to personally because I think it takes away from what is a very intriguing and very inspirational story from Mike Fires as to how he got to where he is. Personally, I want to turn the page from the Astros scandal. I know Mike wants to turn the page from all of that as well as he's done so many good things in the bigs and it kind of takes away from that. And that's why I was so excited to do this interview with him and I know he was excited to be able to tell his story. And I know that it is something that you will enjoy. A reminder that this interview with Mike Fires is brought to you by rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business that has been serving auto parts customers for over 20 years. Why pay 20, 30, 50, or 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy to navigate website to find whatever car part you need for any make or model. It's so much easier than going to the dealership and having to pay a premium or going to an auto parts store and having that intimidation factor and getting drilled with all these questions about all of the modules and specific things in a car that you don't even know about. At least I know I don't know about that. And I end up feeling pretty dumb in those situations. RockAuto.com makes it very simple and they have everything you could possibly need. Basically, any car part for any car, you'll find it at rockauto.com. So just go to rockauto.com right now to see all the parts they have available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Without further ado, here is part one of the two-episode interview with Mike Fires. And I'm joined by a longtime big league starting pitcher, Mike Fires. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. And I got to start you off with the question that I've started every ball player off that's come on the podcast so far because I feel like I can't go anywhere else to start. How did you handle this crazy season that you now have under your belt? Of course, you made the playoffs with the Athletics but this was unprecedented in every way. Very different from the typical 162-game season. So how did you handle this whole strange type of abbreviated season, and how did you prepare for it with all the unknown? I think you train and, and do everything in the offseason like you're going to pitch in a full regular season. But um, I think the emphasis on being ready to go from day one was probably um, 
you know, more in our minds just because you only have two months of a season where you can't really, you know, ease into a season and, and kind of, you know, take that six month stretch where it's, it's two months, it's almost playoff baseball from game one. So um, you needed to get into, you know, mid season form pretty quick. And I think staying with it in the off season and during the whole COVID thing and training with some of the guys uh, down here in South Florida, uh, you know, to stay in shape, you know, pitching off the mound, pitching the hitters, you know, working out and doing everything pretty much like a spring training, just so, you know, come day one that, you know, we are close um, to midseason form as we can. Well, that's the unique thing, because with this whole process, especially at the peak of the unknown with COVID and the quarantine where team facilities weren't open and it was kind of every man for himself, even if you're a big leaguer, a professional athlete, you still had to figure out your own creative ways to train. You found, like you said, a place to train basically out on the fields with some other big leaguers, some other minor leaguers and college guys that were from your local area, and you made it happen. What was that whole process like of being able to try to make the best of the situation and get reps in any way possible and get some simulated at-bats or simulated innings against some hitters? Yeah, it's pretty much like when we were in you know high school or college kind of just getting a bunch of guys together uh naming a spot naming a field to go to and naming a time and everyone showed up because you know your career you know lies in your hands and it's all about you being ready um you know i'm used to you know pitching for you know six straight months in a season so for me to be pitching during quarantine isn't you know you know people don't want to throw too much or, or too little whatever it is i you know, I need to throw, I need that time to, to get ready. And, you know, I'm used to pitching, like I said, in a six month season. So, um, you know, pitching in those times, it wasn't going to hurt me. It was only going to help me. And, um, you know, I think everyone's used to baseball as it is. So, you know, going to the field, um, you know, you know, having live ABs, you know, once a week or twice a week. Um, I think it's really easy on guys or, you know, in pro ball, just because, you know, that's our life as it is. So, um, you know, we love doing it and, and Lisa was, you know, fun. It was fun to go out there with, you know, your friends and your peers and just to get out there and have fun and play baseball and, uh, you know, work on things and get better and build yourself up for, uh, you know, for that season. Well, you mentioned it being somewhat like high school and having to train like you did in high school with just finding a field and finding a way to play when you did play in high school at Deerfield Beach High you were not one of the most heralded high school prospects when it came to pitching. You didn't have as many offers maybe as some of the other pitchers that you see, and you still made the most of it, ultimately walking on at Broward Community College and making things happen from there. But what did you do in that high school process to try to get yourself seen as a guy that's maybe not running it up into the 90s, that's not the flashy type of player, so tends to get overlooked a little bit. It happens all the time. How did you navigate that and eventually just bet on yourself and believe in yourself enough to walk on at Broward Community College? Because your whole story as to how you made it to where you are now is pretty remarkable and I'm excited to get into it. But this is the beginning. Yeah, it was another, um, it's, you know, the road I took, it was definitely, you know, definitely not straight, um, you know, but it, it made me who I am today. And, you know, it, we had it was me and two other guys we didn't really have anywhere to go we won the 
we won the state championship and junior college went to the junior college world series. Uh, like I said, we had a bunch of guys drafted off that team, but you know, with me and a couple other guys, we had to make a trip up to, you know, a bunch of schools up North and, you know, throw bullpens and, um, you know, kind of try out for these teams and, and show what we had. And hopefully we got a, a scholarship or just, you know, an invite to play at these schools because we weren't heavily recruited. And so me and these two guys, we, Drove up north. We went through uh, Tennessee. Uh, it was at Lee University. We went to Kentucky where, you know, we were at um, – there was a Cumberland University in Tennessee. And then we drove over to North Carolina uh, for another – I forgot the other college we went to. And then we came back down. So we took like a you know, five-day trip um, probably through at like four different colleges. And we all went to different different schools. And – it was, you know, looking back, it's, it's always crazy to look back at it now, but at the time we were just having fun. Like we were driving up to these schools and we were like, Oh, what school are we going to go to? But little did we know it was, you know, these schools are kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, I was just excited to have an opportunity to, you know, show, showcase my talent and try to go to one of these schools and, you know, going to the university of Cumberland's, um, for me was a, you know, it was a success, you know, they gave me, you know, scholarship money. So that was going to help my parents uh, in the long run with money. And so they didn't have to come, you know, too much out of their pocket and, um, you know, playing there my junior year and then going back for my senior year is when things got kind of weird where I got in a, you know, bad car accident driving back up and um, had to sit out my fifth year senior year and, it was kind of wild because I didn't know what was going to happen after that. I didn't know if I was going to be healthy to play. I didn't know if I was going to be able to play with the, you know, NCAA rules or whatever it was. And I ended up transferring to division two back down here in South Florida at Nova Southeastern. And that's the crazy thing. You were already going into your red shirt senior year. And then this accident happens. And this wasn't a minor accident. Like you fell asleep at the wheel and woke up in the middle of the Florida turnpike, right? Can you, Take us through that whole scenario, what happened, and how you recovered, because that is something that you were lucky to even be alive from. Yeah, so um, it was one of my last days on Christmas break, and we had um, I had a bunch of friends over. We were watching, you know, it was some football game, and uh, it was kind of like you know my last day, so everyone wanted to get together before I left again. Well, everyone was leaving back to school, so. Uh, it was kind of like our last time to get together. And, you know, that's what we always did. We, we trained in the morning, you know, running, you know, doing beach runs on the morning, uh, going to the gym, then going to the field and, you know, practicing, doing our thing. And then, um, you know, later that night, we're all just hanging out and everybody leaves. And then I was all packed up, ready to go. Uh, so I was trying to go to bed. I couldn't sleep. And then I just decided to just leave that night at 12, 12 o'clock at midnight. Um, thinking, Hey, I'll, I'll get through the night. I didn't want to catch traffic and cause it's a 13 hour drive up to my school in Kentucky. And, uh, I wanted to, you know, miss all that traffic and just have a, a clean drive. And I got about two and a half hours, you know, up the road and I crashed. It was just past Orlando, um, on the turnpike. I, like, like you said, I fell asleep at the wheel. I woke up, you know, kind of in the rocks already. I tried to turn my car and, I started spinning. Once I hit the guardrail, I blacked out and I woke up in the guardrail and my car was across the street. So uh, it was definitely a wild night. Um, 
like you said, like, like you said, again, I'm even lucky to, you know, be alive. And then, you know, and now I have the opportunity to be pitching in the big league. So it's just a, it all happened pretty quick. And, you know, I used, I still think back to that, to that night. I still think back to, you know, a lot of times in my life. And, you know, that was definitely a, a huge time where, uh, you know, someone was definitely looking over me and, and definitely uh, got me out of that situation. Just being a walk-on at a community college and then transferring to another school and then transferring to another school would have been enough of a crazy story to say, wow, how did he make it to the big leagues? But what's even more insane is that you have all of that happen and you get in this car accident where you break four vertebrae in your back and dislocate your leg. Like you said, you were granted that extra year of eligibility, but did you even know how you were going to be coming back from such a traumatic injury? Uh, I didn't. Um, I, I just knew in my mind I wanted to keep playing. I knew I had to get healthy. I knew um, I had to do a bunch of things to be ready for that next year. Um, I did know that you only have, you know, uh, five years to play four in, in college sports. And so with that alone, I mean, I, it was kind of weird, but uh, I was back home. I was probably – like you said, I, I broke four bones in my back. I dislocated my left leg. And then, so when I, I went to the hospital, they released me like probably a, it was only a day or so they were doing some rehab with me there. And then once I went home, you know, I had to have a back brace, a walker, uh, just little things like, you know, getting in and out of bed, taking a shower, going to the bathroom, just sitting down in a chair where, you know, you know, tough times for me. It was, <laughs> it was a process with all those things. And um, yeah, it was just wild. And I was doing little things like trying to stretch on my own after a couple of weeks where I could start doing things um, on my own and started stretching, started throwing a ball into my, you know, my mom's couch. Uh, if she would have known that she probably would have been pissed, but you know, I'm, I'm home alone all day. And then once I started being able to move a little bit more and uh, I was actually throwing with one of my best friend's dads, uh, Michael Dobre. His dad uh, was home and he's um, he's always in the military. So he's traveling here and there. And he was he was actually home at that time. So we would go to the field every you know couple times a week and I would throw with him. So he was actually a big part of me, you know, getting back ready as well. So, um yeah, it was just, it was just wild. And then my body just, you know, reacted to, you know, all the stretching, all the, you know, work I was putting in on my own. And I was starting to get stronger, get my mobility back, get my strength back. And uh, I actually felt really good, no surgeries, no anything. And I think that that helped a, a ton as well. And then I was always going to the games at Nova Southeastern. I was always showing up, watching the games, talking to the coaches, and trying to transfer there, um, you know, they showed a little bit of interest in the past. And, um, you know, I was showing a bunch of interest there because that's where I wanted to finish, you know, my college career and have a chance to, you know, be drafted, knowing that it is a great baseball school. I know a, lot, a bunch of the guys that already go there and I just wanted to play baseball uh, back home. And we know South Florida is a hotbed for talent when it comes to all sports, but definitely baseball as well. And Nova Southeastern University is no exception. You go to that Division II school, which is a Division II powerhouse, no doubt about it. But still, 
Truly remarkable how much talent was on that team. You were there with J.D. Martinez, with a few other pro guys that I know I'm missing. But it's pretty remarkable how much big league talent came out of this small Division II school in South Florida. Yeah, and that's, like I said, one of the reasons I wanted to go there is I, I knew how good that team could be. And I saw the scouts. I saw so many scouts there every time I went to a game. And I said, you know, this is this is probably my best chance of, you know, playing and and having an opportunity to play at the next level. And I did get in. Um, you know, I, I did get granted a six year by the NCAA. I got into Nova, you know, playing with J.D. Martinez and uh, Miles Michaelis. He was um, he got drafted by the Padres that year in the I want to say the seventh, sixth or seventh round. And there was another guy, Rion Spanger Furstenberg, uh, South African guy. He got drafted in the 13th round by the Braves. J.D. was in the 20th and I was in the 22nd. Um, you know, I did everything I could. I came back. I felt even better than I, I did before the accident with a good weight training program at Nova. Um, you know, me and Miles kind of being competitive, you know, with each other. You know, he was a you know big, big, strong dude, probably throwing – you know, his velocity wasn't was uh, wasn't like it was now, but uh, he was probably 90 to 93. I was, you know, close to that. And, you know, we just battled with each other. We challenged each other, you know, on the field, off the field. And I think it helped both of us, you know, in the long run. But um, like I said, we, you know, we had four guys drafted off that, that team. And, you know, like I said, I was just blessed to be there. You know, I, I was I was so happy to even have the opportunity to play. Um, and then also, you know, pitching really well. I led the, you know, nation in strikeouts, broke, broke the single season strikeout record at, at Nova. Um, you know, I, I put on a, a, you know, a great show really that year and gave myself the best chance to, to play, you know, pro, you know, pro baseball. So at that point, as you're breaking records, like you mentioned and starting to put up some crazy numbers, did you really expect to eventually hear your name called in that draft? Um, I I knew I gave my, myself a really good shot. Um, I talked. The guy I talked to the most was Charlie Sullivan. He was a he was a scout with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, I talked to a bunch of scouts, you know, that year, but not but not like him. You know, I, he he was always there. He we got into d- you know deeper conversations. Just been just like, hey, what's going on? You know, just the the old you know, Hey, what's going on type of talk. You know, we, we talked about everything and, you know, he was telling me how much, um, how much like confidence he had in me, how much he thought that I could, you know, go straight to the big leagues and pitch in the big leagues, you know, right now. And so I just had a lot of trust in him and, you know, I did get a lot of letters that year, uh, from other teams, but I, I knew deep inside that Milwaukee was probably my best choice just because of the way, you know, this, um, my scout talked to me and, um, like I said, on draft day, I was, you know, listening at that time, it was just watching your name pop up on a computer and it got to, they told me I could be drafted in you know, the mid mid teens. And once I got to the 20th round, there was a break. I wasn't drafted yet. And I was wondering like, okay, you know, there's 50 rounds. So, you know, I, I should have a shot here. And the Marlins called and the, and the Brewers called both during that break in the 20th, 20th round and told me that we're going to take you the next pick. And I said, oh, awesome. You know, both teams telling me that. And then the Marlins 
Pitt came in in the 21st, they didn't take me. Brewers came, they didn't take me. 22nd round, Marlins came, they didn't take me, and then the Brewers took me. Oh, man. So, once I saw that, I mean, I was just hanging out at one of my friends' house. Uh, We had, had like, three friends over, and we just went nuts. Like, it was kind of a – it was a dream come true, but at the same time, you know, it just started. It was the beginning of my career. So, um, but I've always said, you know, and all my friends have said that we just need an opportunity, just the way we play, the way, how we're so competitive, um, you know, just given the opportunity, I know I was going to do well and be able to get to the big leagues. You mentioned that monstrous senior year at NSU where you are among the top in the nation in strikeouts for division two. Was that the moment where it clicked or did it click later for you in the minor leagues because you also hit the ground running in the minors or did you have multiple quote unquote clicking moments? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I knew I've, I've always been a good pitcher and, you know, for me, it was always about velocity. I needed, I needed to get my velocity up for, you know, scouts to even, you know, think about, you know, talking to me or, or, you know, putting any interest in me. And, and that year, like I said, I was, I was probably touching 92. I was probably sitting 88 to 90 you know, kind of similar how I am now and, you know, having that many strikeouts and um, putting myself in a great position to be drafted and then getting the opportunity, you know, going into um, minor league baseball, I went to the lowest level. You, I went to the rookie ball and I'm playing with a bunch of high school kids, you know, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old. And I'm sitting there, I'm 23 and it's either pitch well, or, you know, you're gone. You know, I, I probably didn't have, you know, a long leash, like a lot of these, you know, first and second round picks where they're getting drafted, like I said, you know, 18, you know, after their senior year or, you know, juniors in high school or juniors in college, which are, you know, 20 years old. And so it was a, you know, perform now or, or get released type moment. And when I went to rookie ball, I pitched there for a month. They actually put, put me in uh, as a closer. I was a closer and we had, we had all these kids from, you know, big D1 schools, you know, throwing hard and, you know, what have you. And I'm sitting there being the closer because I throw strikes and I, you know, I, I had a lot of swings and misses. And, you know, I don't think I gave up a run for a whole month. And then I gave up back-to-back homers and I got, and then I got called up to low A. And that was in my first year in 2009. So I got called up to low A, was there for a week, then got called up to high A for the last month of the season. and you know, definitely put myself in a, in a great spot to um, be at another level the next year. And I, I hit every level. I went rookie ball, low A, high A. The next year I started in high A, ended in double A. And then in 2011 is when I started in double A, went triple A, and then got called up in September. Um, so it all happened pretty quick. Um, you know, I still think back to what my scout was telling me the whole time that, you know, I, I could see you pitching in the big leagues right now. And I thought he was crazy. You know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm doing well in division two school, but you know, there's probably still a lot I I need to learn, but I pretty much pitched exactly how I did in college. And uh, once I got to the big leagues, I I knew I had to, like I said, again, I needed to perform right out of the gate. And I did, you know, I, I, I pitched well, I kept pitching well. It was always like a one year thing where, all right, let's see what he can do this year. Let's see what he can do this year. And that's kind of been my whole career. And that'll do it for part one of the Mike Fires interview. I hope you enjoyed his incredibly remarkable story that is 
really a lot of people don't know about it and I hadn't really known about it so I was excited to be able to bring him on and talk about it because you see these guys in the big leagues you don't know how they got there some of them had an easier path some of them had the path that Mike Fires had doesn't mean anybody is better than the other but it's definitely deserving to have that story told because it's a perfect example of guys in the game today, right? You think that if you don't throw 97, you don't have a chance. Mike Fires didn't throw 97, doesn't throw 97, and that was probably the least of his things that he needed to overcome to get to the big leagues. So definitely a very cool story. And when we get into part two, which will be out tomorrow, Things get pretty awesome because we talk about his two no-hitters, we talk about his experience in the postseason, pitching with Oakland, so many cool things that he's experienced in his career, but especially going deep into those no-hitters where he threw 130 pitches twice. So definitely some very unique no-hitters, and it's cool to get into the mind of a pitcher that has thrown not one no-hitter, but two of them and comparing the two and all of those crazy things that go with it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to sharing part two with you tomorrow. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.